everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Savela. Wherever you may be in this wide, beautiful, crazy world of ours, you are part of this story circle. Today I wanted to tell you a story called The Gentle Heart Jataka, and it's from a collection called Endless Path by Rafe Martin. And I have shared some of these stories on this program with you before. Jataka stories are stories of Buddha's incarnations on the path to enlightenment. So one thing that's really interesting about them is that you realize that, no, he didn't do it in one lifetime. <laughs> and uh, he made a lot of mistakes along the way and showed up as a lot of different creatures. In fact, I think I told a story where he was a crow in one previous lifetime. Anyway, I came to this story in search of context for a lot of things that have been going on inside and outside lately. I don't know about you, but I've been feeling really unsettled and called to let go of a lot of things, from possessions to habits, uh, and also revisiting the past and being infused with memories about things that happened years ago that I haven't thought about for a long time. And there's been a real feeling of upheaval and need for reevaluation in my own psyche, in my personal life, and also in the outer world. You know, at the introduction of this program, I say beautiful, crazy world of ours, and the craziness, my gosh, I can't believe some of the things that are going on right now. And I'm very aware of the fact that all of this is a collective experience. Something huge is underway. And so maybe you are feeling some of the same things that I'm feeling. And maybe you will find something useful in this story too. I was led to it in the sense that I looked at all of the books, looked at all the bookcases, and you know, just followed that intuition to pick up this book and then just opened it to this story. And I was really astonished at how much uh, relief and also information it gave me. So I invite you to relax and listen. The story, once again, is called The Gentle Heart Jataka, and it was collected and translated by Rafe Martin. Long ago, when the Brahmadatta reigned in Benares, the Bodhisattva, that is the Buddha, was born into a Brahmin family. The Brahmins were wealthy, educated people, and he had a very happy childhood and youth. But when he finished his education and looked around, he decided that there wasn't that much of value to him in the outer world, and so he decided to become a hermit and retired to the Himalayas. There he built a hut and led a very simple, solitary life in meditation. And after a while, after a while of 
strong dedication to this meditation, he became awake. The hermit entered the awakened life and he lived up on the peaks, totally absorbed in bliss. Well, one day he ran out of salt and vinegar and other staple groceries, so he piled his tangled hair up in a knot on his head and straightened his rustic bark clothing and put an animal skin over his shoulder and went down the mountain to Benares to beg to gather alms. And when he got down there, he walked around the streets as a religious beggar in the way that they do with his bowl and eventually came to the palace of the king. And the king happened to glance out of his window and saw this young ascetic standing there with his bowl in his hand, and he was really struck by the young man's presentation. He was very dignified and serene despite his poverty, and so he had the young hermit brought into the palace and had him sit down on his golden couch and gave him some good foods to eat and asked the young hermit for some teachings, which he provided. And he told the king that he should be charitable, that he should be thinking of all the creatures in his land as his subjects, Uh, be discerning, really examine things fully, on and on, gave him a lot of good leadership wisdom. And the king was so inspired by his teachings and by his manner that he invited the hermit to stay on at the palace and continue to teach him and his family and all of the palace nobles who surrounded him and were you know, part of his government. I'll have a hut built out in my gardens for you, he told the hermit, and then you can continue to live out there and meditate and your practice can continue uninterrupted and I'll feed you and, you know, all I ask in return is that you come to the palace and give teachings to myself and my family and my advisors. Well, the hermit accepted the king's offer, and he was very happy to share what he knew and guide the king along the path of compassion and wisdom. So he moved into this hut, and the king benefited greatly from having the hermit around, and so did all of the people in the kingdom. And before you know it, 16 years had passed. And the entire time, the hermit maintained his meditation practice, and at the same time, he came regularly into the palace to eat and to offer wisdom teachings. Now, around this time, the king had to leave. He had to go and settle a dispute near the borders, and he told his queen, whose name was Gentle Heart, to make sure that While he was gone, the teacher continued to to get his meals and said, why don't you also ask him to keep teaching so that everyone else can continue to get the benefit of his presence, even though I'm not going to be here. And of course, she agreed to do this, and the king left. And 
One day, when the hermit's meal was being prepared in the kitchen below, the queen upstairs in her chambers took a bath, and she put on a robe and laid down to take a little nap, and the hermit was late in arriving, and she fell asleep. And she just figured that one of the servants would tell her when he arrived. For the hermit's part, when he got up from his meditation and he saw that he was late, instead of walking to the palace as he usually did, he flew there so that he could get there really quickly, and he entered the palace unannounced through a window on the second floor, and yes, he happened to see the queen, and she was napping there on her couch in her robe. And when she heard the sound of somebody come into the room, she moved around to start to get up, and her robe fell open, and the hermit saw her her beautiful naked body. And he was transfixed. He was like, if I can make a reference to Greek mythology in the midst of all of this, he was like Acteon seeing Artemis at that pool bathing. A shiver ran through him, and all of a sudden, he could not see or think about anything else. Despite all of his training and his insight and his wisdom, he was not prepared for the sight of this woman. He'd never seen one before. Suddenly, he forgot about everything, and all that he knew was his desire for her. He stood there with his bull in his hand. He couldn't say a word, and then suddenly embarrassed and stammering, he, he said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm just, I, I'm really not feeling well. And he went down the stairs and stumbled back to the garden into his hut and laid down on his bed. And for seven days, he didn't eat or drink. He just laid there trembling, consumed with lust for Queen Gentleheart. All he wanted was to have her there with him, naked, as he'd seen her, and nothing else mattered. The king came home and asked about the teacher. And everyone at the palace told him that the hermit was ill. So he hurried to the hut to check on his teacher, and when he got there, he found the young man was really looking bad. He did not look well at all. And the king said, oh my God, what, what's wrong with you? You know, can I help you? What are you suffering from? And the hermit said, well, it's lust, sire. Lust for whom? Asked the king. And the hermit told him the truth. He said, for gentle heart, I chanced to see her naked. And now that I've seen that, my mind is just shattered. I can't get past it. That's all I can see. The king considered this for a moment, and he looked at the hermit, his teacher, and he saw how ruined he was by this, the dark shadows under his eyes and everything. And finally he said, well, if that's the way it is, then I guess you should have her. 
you're a good man and you've been an excellent teacher and maybe this is the way things are supposed to go. I mean, I really didn't expect it, but maybe this is karma. So why don't you get up and eat a good meal. I brought you some food and take a bath and get ready for your life and I'm going to go up to the palace and you come come to the palace when you're ready. And the king went home and he went to his queen, Gentleheart, and he said, our teacher is really in trouble and he needs our help. It turns out that he's very wise, but he's not worldly. And the sight of you naked has completely ruined him and inflamed his lust. I don't think he's, he's like a teenager. I don't think he's ever felt this before or seen anything like this before. So I, um, I told him that he can have you and that you'll go with him. And she started to protest. What? What? And he said, wait, 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 let me finish. I told him that because I trust you and your wisdom. Can you think of any way that we can help him? How can we manage this? Because he's having a terrible time. And Gentleheart thought about this for a minute. She said, all right, I can help. I'm, yeah, I have a plan. Here's what we're going to do. And she told the king what she had in mind. When the hermit came to the palace, the king welcomed him, and then he ceremoniously had Gentleheart come in, and he freed her of her allegiance to him and said, okay, now you're his. You're no longer my queen. Go with him. And the two of them left together. And the hermit, oh my, you know, his heart was just pounding. He couldn't believe that he had this beautiful queen by his side. And they had only taken a dozen steps beyond the gates when she turned to him and she said, well, where are we going to live? Why, I... I thought we would live in my hut in the garden. That's where we're going to go now, said the hermit. Oh, no, no, said Gentleheart. Um, That isn't going to do. That's hardly big enough for one, let alone two people. It's just not fitting that I, I mean, I'm a queen. I can't live in such a place. You're going to have to go back to the king and ask him to give us a bigger dwelling. So the hermit went back and asked the king, can I have a bigger place to live now that there's two of us? And the king stroked his beard and seemed to contemplate the problem. And finally he said, there's a broken down sort of a place. There's an, it's an old cottage on the palace grounds. It's in pretty bad shape, but you can have it. If you fix it up, I think it should work for you. So the hermit and Gentleheart went to go and look at this broken down cottage. And she said, the size is okay and the grounds would be all right, but it needs a lot of work. And they stepped inside, and she frowned and shook her head and said, Oh, this is just disgusting. I mean, animals have been in here, and there's birds' nests, and vagrants have camped in here. Look at all of this junk, and it smells. I'm not going to come back into this place until it has really been fixed up properly and completely scoured and cleaned and repaired and painted. And I want you to remember that I was a queen, and I'm very beautiful. Oh, I know, said the hermit. I can't forget that. You go and stay in my hut for a while, and I'll stay here, and I'll get this all fixed up. And when it's ready, I will come for you. Well, you're going to need some tools, she said as she walked off. You're going to have to go back to the king and ask him for buckets and shovels and paintbrushes and hammers and plasterers' trowels, and we're going to want furniture, and you're going to need to 
make us a couch and a bed, and we're going to need cups. And, and oh, and we'll probably keep animals too, so we're going to need a pen for the animals, and don't forget the garden. I mean, we're completely on our own now, so it, it's, it's up to you to get us set up for our new life. Never fear, never fear, said the hermit. You are mine, and I'm going to do everything I have to do to make you happy. A gentle heart went back to the hut in the garden, and the hermit went back to the palace and asked for all of these supplies, and, and he started working. And he worked, and he worked, and he worked, and he worked. He swept out the rooms, he burned all the trash, he replastered the walls, he painted the rooms, he created a garden. He worked for days on this project. And then finally, exhausted, but very, very excited, he went to the hut to get Gentleheart to bring her to the home that he'd prepared for her, where she would finally be his. And she walked back with him. And when they got back, she looked around and she said, there's no door. It needs a door. Oh, oh, he said, uh, do I have to deal with that now? Oh, well, you definitely have to deal with that now. I mean, how could we move in without a door, she said. I mean, I actually possess something someone might want to rob. Oh, I didn't think of that, he said. Oh, you'll learn, you'll learn, she said. And um, besides, we're going to need my, our privacy, aren't we? So why don't you make a door and then you come for me when it's done? I'll be waiting. So once again, the hermit went to work and he was just so close. He was very excited. He saw it. He, he had to make iron hinges. He made a beautiful door and he lifted it up and hung it in place and it looked really good. And so he went back once again to his gentle heart and very shyly led her back to their home. And she smiled when she saw it. It looked really good. Good walls, animal pen. She opened the new door. It was really lovely and stepped inside. It looks great, she said. You've, you've done a really good job. Now, come with me. And she closed the door and she took the hermit by the hand and she led him over to the bed. And they sat down facing each other. And she put her hands on his shoulders and she could feel his heart pounding wildly. And she reached up and she took a hold of his beard and she drew his face down close to hers and looked him in the eyes and then said with force, you are a good man and you are a holy man, a sage. Have you forgotten yourself? And just like that, in a flash, he realized it. He saw how he had totally lost his awareness and gotten lost in this heavenly little dream. How his mind had become completely overcome. He'd forgotten his practice. And he was ashamed and startled. He was shocked, actually, to see how quickly he'd been overcome by this desire. Overcome and then how his mind had been completely dominated by it. And he saw how unprepared he was, how immature he actually was in terms of the ways of the world. And he remembered the vows that he'd taken. So with all of this streaming back into his consciousness, he reconnected with his underlying 
determination to awaken fully and to be of help to others who needed the path to enlightenment. He saw that he had gone very far in the wrong direction, and yet no real harm had yet been done. Hmm. He thought, you know, gentle heart is not mine. She's the king's wife. She's the queen, and she has been very wise and kind to me, and so has the king, and this is where it's got to stop. This is where it's got to stop. He stood up and he said, I'm not ready for you. And I want you to tell the king, too, that I really appreciate all that he's done for me. He's very wise and brave and unselfish. And you are so wise and so kind. And I'm, I'm embarrassed by my failure. I thought that I was beyond all of this. And you've opened my eyes and you've dealt very skillfully with me. And I thank you. And with that, he bowed to the beautiful queen. He walked out of the lovely new cottage and looked around. And with his awareness regained and his powers restored, he rose up into the air and he flew back to his little hut in the Himalayas. I can't let that happen again, he thought. And, he thought, flying has its uses, but walking on the ground is not as easy as it looks from up here. It might be wiser in the future to master fewer special powers and more ordinary ones. Those people knew things, know things that I don't. I still have a lot of work to do. And when he got back up to the snow-capped peaks, he went back into his hut and cleaned it back up and settled back down again into his meditation mastering the endless way. The first thing I have to mention that I find reassuring, and this seems to be becoming a theme here on Myth in the Mojave, is that the Buddha-to-be makes a mistake. Makes a mistake and it's not fatal. So to those of you who, like me, find yourself worrying sometimes about the lack of perfection, let's take that load off, shall we? At the same time, there is a moral issue here. I mean, there's a serious challenge to the Buddha. And that morality, as we see, it comes from the hermit knowing who he is and what he's capable of. You know, he's brought back to the realization that he is a man on the path of awakening that that's what he's after. And it's that goal and that sense of what he wants for himself and of what he can achieve, that's the source of the discipline. It's not imposed from the outside. It's not the judgment of the king or the queen. And I'm going to say a little bit more about them in just a minute. But I think that's really important that what we determine we are going to do That is a source of morality and guidance and conscience. It's something that we find inside ourselves. And our practice then takes place 
in the ordinary, everyday world. That's where the challenges come. It's not a matter of extraordinary circumstances and being in the lofty heights. I mean, certainly one would hope that if you are in a situation where courage and wisdom and fortitude and compassion, that all of that's required, that you're going to show up with that. But where we practice and develop those capacities and where we're expressing it every day is every day in all of the small choices that we make. For all of his wisdom up on top of the mountain, he had never seen a naked woman before and he had never dealt with what that brought up in him. It's interesting, too, the view here of sexuality and desire. You see that that's not the problem. That's a natural part of being human. But the question is of how to be with it. What do you do with it? And again, you see what his goals were for himself, what kind of person he wanted to be. You know, lust, I mean, that isn't going to take you deeper into love. And so that was a consideration for the hermit. And then also, once he remembered who he was, he remembered that he had taken a vow of celibacy. The practice is in the real world. It's not in the retreat setting. I love that part at the beginning of the story where he runs out of salt and vinegar and staples. They're not up there on the mountain. The staples aren't up on the mountain. (laughs) He has to come down, down where all the ordinary people are living in the way of the world that he had rejected. And yet, incredible lesson there for him, wasn't there? I also noticed that we need others to practice. So when he's up there on the mountain by himself, in a way, you know, perfection's easily achieved. I know I have certainly found this to be true in my life. When I'm by myself, hey, I'm perfect. I don't have any problems. I'm unperturbed. It's when others are in my life actively, it's in my relationships, that I see who I really am and that I am really challenged and also given the opportunity then to show what's best in me. I love the characters of the king and the queen. And I think probably most of you, like me, are much closer to the king and the queen than we are to the hermit who's already awakened I notice that they don't judge him. They help him. They respect him. They respect what they have seen of him, what is good in him, and what he wants for himself. And that really moves me in our current context. Because so many of us are striving to show up in the right way to participate fully in what's going on in the most positive sense. And we're not alone. We're, we're, we're here helping each other. And how do we do that? I mean, this story suggests to me that we do that by uh, supporting what is best in each of us. So maybe those of us who are of like minds, those of us who are headed in the same direction, maybe we support each other by reminding and inspiring each other to be true to our highest aspirations. Maybe that is as important or more important than fighting against those that we disagree with. 
I don't know. I mean, I'm just thinking about this. And of course, it's not an either or. Of course, we can do both. We can protect and defend at the same time that we are building, you know, and how much energy goes into either one of those things. The last thing that I want to mention is that we see in the story that the difficulties are necessary. It's how we learn. If we learn, if we take them as lessons, if we take them as lessons, you know, the hermit didn't become a victim then. He didn't see his mistake and then go, oh my gosh, you know, and blame the queen because she's beautiful or blame circumstance because he just happened to fly into that window. No, he took total responsibility for it, but he didn't blame himself either. He took the lesson. He understood there was a lesson, and that is a lesson for all of us. I just have to repeat those words from Raph Martin at the very end of the story because I think it's so great, where he says, Flying has its uses, but walking on the ground is not as easy as it looks from up here. So, my friends, for those of all of us who are walking on the ground, (laughs) I hope that this story uh, gives you some support and reassurance as it has for me. And that's it for me, Catherine Savela and Myth in the Mojave for this week. Feel free to contact me if you have questions or comments about today's program. I hope you'll share Myth in the Mojave with friends or family who might be interested in it. And if you're finding some value here, please join the Myth in the Mojave community on Bandcamp. It's only $5 a month, and then you have unlimited access to all of the programs that are archived there on Bandcamp. And there are a couple of other of these Jataka stories, by the way. You have free downloads of everything new that I'm creating, and you play an essential role in making future programs possible. And I do mean that sincerely. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next time. And until then, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life alive.